Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. The reason I, I wrote it and what it's about is it's about mentoring and parenting. If we could mentor our young people better and parent our children better, then a lot of what we're dealing with and contending with as far as the skills gap and the lack of skilled workers, a lot of that would probably you know take care of itself. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on today's show is Terry Iverson, co-owner of Iverson & Company and author of a new book called Finding America's Greatest Champion. Terry and his family have been in the machine tool and production business for almost 100 years, specializing in hardinge equipment. In writing this book, Terry drew upon his vast network of professionals in a variety of businesses to understand how mentorship and apprenticeship can rebuild American manufacturing. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. FireTrace systems are safe for people and machines because they use clean agents that leave no residue. The systems are compatible with all major machinery brands and can be installed within a few hours. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. I am thrilled to have Terry Iverson of Iverson and Company on the show today. Terry is an author of a new book, Finding America's Greatest Champion, Building Prosperity Through Manufacturing, Mentoring, and the Awesome Responsibility of Parenting. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I've, I've known Terry a few years. He's also in uh, the machine tool business, used used to do some new distributing. We still do a little bit of new and rebuilding and used. Okay. Actually, it's funny. I was at a convention about a year and a half, two years ago. And yeah, we were in the bathroom and he says, Noah, I'm writing this book. Maybe you had already written it by then. I'm not sure. It's about manufacturing. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, clearly he's very passionate about this topic and this book. So I want to learn what it's all about. Give us like just a real brief background on what the book is about. And then, then I want to get a little bit into your story to give, you know, I mean, if you're going to be writing a book about manufacturing and, you know, topics like the skills gap and etc. Like, I want people to know why you have the right to write this book. Understood. Um, so, yeah, in, in two sentences, tell us what this book is. And then I want the short version of, of your background in this industry. 
Sure. Uh, the book, as far as uh, Finding America's Greatest Champion, is our young people. Uh, first of all, I define it as being manufacturing and the importance of manufacturing in our country. And I also allude to the fact in the book that our young people in our country are America's greatest champion. And I really think uh, in our industry, uh, as, as others, that the female gender, uh, there's, there's so few represented in our industry. And I think that that can be a, another uh, definition. But what I, the reason I, I wrote it and what it's about is it's about uh, mentoring and parenting uh, if we could mentor our young people better and parent our children better, then a lot of what we're dealing with and contending with as far as the skills gap and the lack of skilled workers, a lot of that would probably, you know, take care of itself. Interesting. Okay. Um, so you come from a, a long line of people in the machinery business, you know, some sort of parallel to our business and Graf Pinkert. Absolutely. Give us the origin of that. Well, it started with my grandfather. Uh, I believe he was 16 years old when he worked for a Chicago machine tool builder. How long ago was that? That was in the 1920s. Okay. 1925, I believe. Mm -hmm. And his father had passed. That would, that would be my great-grandfather that uh, came over from Norway. And his, his dad had passed and he became the breadwinner with I think five brothers and sisters and his mom to support. So even though he wasn't the oldest, he went to work, quit high school, went to work and uh, to support uh, the family. Okay. So he started sweeping floors for a, this machine tool builder, uh, which eventually moved out. And uh, when they moved out to New York state, then uh, he was one of the three people that were asked to go with. And he declined because of the, the scenario that I just explained, you know, being, you know, supporting his family at a young age. And so that was our beginning of our trek to into the machine tool world, which my father and my two uncles followed. And then ultimately my two uncles uh, started and uh, acquired their own machine shops. What was your grandfather building? What kind of machine tools? Uh, lathes. Um, Hardinge is, is the product. Everyone that knows our name, like that knows your name, they know what we're uh, affiliated with or was we're affiliated with. But we are specialists and have always been specialists with Hardinge. And he was initially sweeping the floors and he was really good in math and science. I mean, uh, my uncles, my uncles, my dad, myself, my grandfather are very fortunate. We've always been good in math and science. So they got him into drafting. Like mm -hmm. right away. And uh, then they realized that, you know, this young kid had some promise. And then my dad made it a career. So he was working for Hardinge? Directly. Mm -hmm. It was okay. a Chicago in the 1920s. I think Hardinge started in 1890 and wow. they uh, were in Chicago until 1931. And that's when our company was founded, is 1931. So I'm the third generation. Wow. Very interesting. And you work with your brother, cousin? Uh, I have a cousin in the, in the business, um, the Turnstrom uh, side of the family, which was my grandfather's brother-in-law, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, he came into the business as a rebuilder. So we were starting to rebuild Harding's equipment ooh, probably 70 plus years ago. And so uh, Mike's dad uh, followed 
and uh, and then Mike followed. So he's third generation as well. Interesting. So you worked alongside your father for a lot of the time? I did. I did. Um, when he asked me to work for him, I almost instantaneously said no. Um, and then I thought out of, out of respect for my... Had you gone to school? I had been in... I had gone to college for six years off and on, um, part-time for three, full-time for three. And I went into mechanical engineering. Okay. And, uh, I, and I talk about this in the book that I got extremely disenchanted with the educational process. Is that why it took you six years? Well, um, my third year in college, I got married. And so then I went to night school and I was working full time while going to night school for mechanical engineering. And um, I got disenchanted just because um, I have a very short attention span and the way that they taught really wasn't the way that I learned. This book, it's about mentoring. It's about the skills gap. Mm -hmm. You said that everybody was telling you you needed to write this book. Why did you write this book? It's like, first, I hear it, you know, everybody says we don't have enough kids to fill our jobs. Stuff's going over to China, mm -hmm. robots taking jobs, whatever. Like, I hear all these things all the time. Mm -hmm. Why sum it all up in this book? What are you trying to accomplish by it? Well, my goals and, and my aspirations are quite high. Um, you know, first of all, let me say that, you know, with our family being in manufacturing for over 90 years, that I felt that someone in our family owed it to the industry, mm -hmm. you know, to give back. Not that my uncles and my dad and my grandfather didn't, but this was my way of giving back. And so for the last almost 40 years, I've called on manufacturers all over the Midwest and all over the country. And louder and louder, this <clears throat> complaint uh, would be, you know, chance, so to speak, that we don't have enough skilled people. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten, you know, each decade it's gotten worse and more prominent. And somewhere, someone along the line said that we were going to be a service-based economy, which is ridiculous in my opinion. Manufacturing is, is in our country's core and I think always has to be and should be because that's how, you know, nations uh, and democracies as ours uh, prosper, in my, in my opinion. But uh, the reason I wrote it is, is really to, to try to move the needle and try to change the culture. Um, you know, we have student debt that's just an astounding, oh astounding problem in this country. And, uh, and I've, always, I've always mentored young people since I was 21 years old, you know, my entire adult life. And that's important to me because I had mentors because I, you know, I grew up in Florida. My dad was in Chicago. So I was very fortunate to have coaches and family friends and, and teachers that mentored me. And I feel very grateful for that. What do you mean by a mentor? Well, a mentor is someone that can look at you and guide you. And, and mentors have, you know, a much broader and bigger lens than, than you as a young person have. And, and they can assess, you know, what you maybe don't know or what you should consider that's a good match for your skills or your talents or your desires and passions. And they can see things a lot differently than a young person can or, yeah. or even yourself. So you can be a grown adult and still have a mentor. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think the two of us being in a family business, I think we were very fortunate to have our, our elders and our parents and, and other family members, you know, mentor us in, in the family business. So yeah. I, 
I don't know if you agree with that, but I assume you would. Yeah. So, um, but with the student debt issue, what most parents are doing right now, and, and they mean well, but they don't understand what the market is doing. And the market is going towards a, 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 an acquired skill that is needed more than a four or a five-year degree. And so you have this student debt crisis, and it is a crisis, and it really doesn't have to be. Um, and and it, let me say this. I talk to young people all over the country in, uh, quite a bit, and it's okay if they don't consider or want to be in manufacturing. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what is wrong is if they don't even know what it is. Yeah. And so if they knew what it was and they make a decision either for or against, then that's, that's cool. But we've done a, a poor job as an industry at being advocates for ourselves and for our industry. And I make a lot of uh, comparisons with Europe and the culture in Europe. Right, right. It is totally different there. It's, it's not, it doesn't have the same kind of stigma. It doesn't. People are held in very, very high regard um, and, and almost in awe of a skill set or a talent uh, or, you know, the craftsmen's are, are held um, with their high skills in very high regard. I was just thinking about this, though. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with this. But does this maybe have something to do with like Europe has always believed in sort of this caste system? So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, your place, your, your dad was a tradesman. You're going to be a tradesman. Don't try to be in banking or you're a banker. Don't try to be aristocracy because this is, this is your place. So in a way it's kind of like, all right, well, this is, this is kind of what, what my people do. I'm going to do that. You know, maybe, but I don't think that translates into the U S I mean, you know, we, we encourage our young people to, you know, follow their passion. Um, I don't think they do that. We do that as well with young people when it comes to, you know, the skills or the trades. And there's a prejudice in our country in that we don't think uh, that these jobs are good paying careers. Um, and, the, and they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we, we have this um, perception that everything's made in China now, and that's not true. Uh, China is well over 20% of the world's goods, and we are now under 20% of the world's goods. But I think the, the one statistic that I'll repeat um, that I, in my research of the book is that if you took the, the American manufacturing economy by itself and compared it to all the countries in the world, it would be the number eighth largest economy in the world. Interesting. So um, certainly- well, What the, are some of the main ones that are bigger? Um, well, Germany, certainly, France. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure China's in there, obviously, to begin with, but I'm sure Germany's in there, um, Japan's in there, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, uh, Italy, you know, I'm sure is in there. And uh, But I think that the facet is we need to do a better job of educating. I mean, we have two different, we have a big disconnect. We have the, the families and the parents that think they're doing the right thing and every child needs to go to college. Yeah. So people are racking up three, you know, triple digit uh, thousands of dollars of debt when in the reality they can get a much more reasonably priced uh, education yeah. in a skill or machining or manufacturing and be in, in the field making money three plus years earlier.
Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graphpinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I listened to this podcast about how we're a supposed meritocracy. People okay. feel like, you know, the 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 conventional wisdom has become, okay, you play this game, you will make it. You do well in high school, you go to a good college. You do mm-hmm. well in a good college, maybe you go to grad school or mm-hmm. you get a good internship. Mm-hmm. Then you work your way up the ladder and if you play this game and you're smart the way we want you to be smart, you're going to succeed and have a nice job and have a nice life. The problem is, number one, I mean, kind of what you, a lot of what you were saying about the debt and maybe some people just, that's not their their calling. Right. But part of the problem is if everybody's playing the same game, this game won't work anymore because yes. there can only be so many investment bankers and consultants and PR uh-huh. people and advertising Agreed. people because it's just so. Agreed. So I guess this way, this is like another. It's another avenue mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah, and and I think <clears throat> I think at one point when apprenticeships were big in the U.S., just like they are in Europe, because the apprenticeship model in in Europe still is alive and well. Yeah. In the U.S., when we hit hard times. And say I got in in about 1980. So I would say somewhere in the mid to late 80s, they started disappearing. And now a a true apprenticeship program, um, they're starting to make a comeback. Why is that? Just because it takes too much resources of a company to get a master for this apprentice? And maybe they don't even have enough people to... Well, it's twofold. Um, The cost, I mean, you know, we're... In this country, we're very um, profit-driven short-term. And I was always taught by my dad and my grandfather to always look at the long-term. The short-term will take care of itself, but think Mm long-term. And Europe thinks long-term. And in Europe, in in Germany and Switzerland, where I've spent a a fair amount of time, 10% of their workforce is in an apprenticeship program. Wow. So that's a huge commitment and a huge cost. And stockholders in the in the U.S. Um, forget about privately held companies. So what's what percentage of our workforce is apprenticeship? One. Well, like I said, it's making a comeback. But um, I'm not talking about ten percent of Germany's workforce. What I'm saying is that in a given company, if it's a company of two hundred, they'll have twenty apprentices. Mm-hmm. If they have 400 people, they'll have 40 apprentices. So that the model, 
for those people that are doing apprentice, apprenticeships uh, and apprentice programs in uh, Europe, they usually attribute 10% of their workforce in a program, in an apprenticeship program. In this country, the German-American Chamber of Commerce is doing a great job at reestablishing the apprenticeship uh, model in the U.S. The German-American Chamber of Commerce? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, That's interesting. They're quoted in the book. They're, one of the, my favorite quotes in the book, uh, which is in the beginning of the cha chapter, is the um, uh, Mark Tompkins, I believe, uh, from the German-American Chamber of Commerce. He said, he said, Terry, Germany has the system, but they don't have the people. The United States have the people, but they don't have the system. And it's a really, really profound comment. That is astute. It stuck with me. And, and I had uh, Virginia Rounds was a person that, that said it in a meeting at Windsor Gear with, with me and, and a number of others. And then I had to go back and ask, uh, you know, if that was hers or Mark's. And it was attributed to Mark. And he let me use it in the book. But um, so I went back and, I, you know, we have about 330, 335 million people in the U.S. And Germany, I think, has around 90 million and if you look at the projections, some of the projections say that Germany will be in 10, 15 years from 90 million down to 80 or 70 million. Right. And Nobody, we're, they don't have babies. Right. And we're expected to go from 335 to, to 340 or something. Yeah, something kind of stable. Up, up a little bit, but, but pretty much stable. So the big, the big picture is, is the culture in our country. My contention is, you know what? Our industry is computerized and automated, uh, and it's getting more computerized and automated every day. Mm -hmm. And here you have young people, millennials and, and next gens and, and all of them. I mean, anything with a computer, you know, if, you're, if they're just given a chance, they'll find interest in. Mm -hmm. And not only will they find interest in, but they'll probably do very well. And so when you have this, this um, I had a mom uh, ask me, and she said, Terry, how can you guarantee me this is after I had I spoke somewhere. How can you guarantee me if my son or daughter goes into this that they'll have a job? And I said, I can't. Can't guarantee anything. I said, there are no guarantees. Um, I said, but I have uh, a friend who's, whose son, you know, they spent probably quarter million dollars on a uh, legal uh, degree. And he had a tough time finding a job. So uh, here, you know, I make a financial model uh, in the book that... If you do a two-year degree at $40,000 uh, in for that degree and a five, four or five-year degree at a quarter, quarter million dollars for the degree, whatever it is, and assuming uh, the two-year degree comes out at 50 grand a year and the five-year degree comes out at 75 grand a year, in other words, I was very conservative, and you pay 20% of your income back against your educational costs with no interest, after 12 years, the two-year degree individual in a, in a skilled uh, profession is $90,000 cash positive, while the five-year degree person is negative 120000 cash negative. Well, that's true, but maybe the one that became the lawyer didn't pay for his school. Well, maybe so, his parents paid for it. Okay, let's talk about that. And maybe that. he's thinking about the long game. And that's true. That's true. There was, a, there was an article in, in a publication uh, a while back that had seven pe young people in their 30s on the cover. And, and the, the headline said, um, college ruined my life. And I'm not saying that for everybody that's the case. But these people had between 
30 and a hundred thousand dollars of debt and they couldn't buy a car they couldn't buy a house <laughs> they couldn't start a family they couldn't get married oh my god because of this debt but to your point that's a good point that you make uh noah you know if if a parent has let's just say 200 grand and we all work hard for our these children, days children. that only covers maybe two and a half years of college valid valid um but, but yeah but, go on but let's say 350 okay that money could be used for a down payment on a home. That money could be used for a different education because we all need education of some sort. That money could use, be used for a startup for, for starting a business. I know. It's incredible. It's an obscene amount of money. So the point is in Europe, um, young people, I make mention of Europe a lot. Young people, by the time they're 14 or 15 years old, pretty much know what they're passionate about and what they think they're good at. See, I disagree with that. You do? Yeah. Okay. I don't think you know anything when you're 14 or 15. Well, no, some people do. Some people do. But uh, let alone when you're when you're 21, 22, you don't know what you're doing. I, I think they don't know what their passion is. Maybe, I, don't, I think that's where maybe it goes to that whole caste system. They know where their place is. I don't, I don't agree with that. Here, here's, Did you know what you wanted to do when you were 15? Well, hold on now. We're in the U.S., so let's, let's differentiate the U.S. versus Europe. In Europe, what they do is they, they press their young people to figure out what they want to figure out what they're, they're good at. Yeah. If you're going to be an athlete, okay, well, there's, you know, you're going to go down the athletic path. But do you think that's fair to make somebody choose a path at, it, it, it is, at that age? It is if they're challenged enough to figure it out. If they're not challenged enough, I totally agree with you. Because in this country, what well, we do- How do you do, even know what you don't know? By trying different things. Like in this country, we're starting to get really good at doing internships. Mm-hmm. And let's just say, I'm going to come back to the U.S. now. And let's say in 10th grade, you do an internship. And let's say it's uh, accounting, okay? And then in 10th grade uh, or 11th grade, you uh, you do an internship in engineering. And then another one in manufacturing. And another one in, in legal. Okay. Well, by starting early and challenging yourself, you'll have a good idea. And, and if you, let's say you do uh, an internship in manufacturing, you say, I hated that. Well, that's okay. That's yeah. one thing you know you don't want. But if you don't do those exercises, Absolutely. if you don't do that, then yes. So what you're saying is the importance of exposing. Yes. And challenging. One of the, the terms that I, in, you know, made up is instead of apprenticeship, I call it a printernship. Yeah, I read that. That's interesting. Well, it's hard to say, but it's basically putting the apprenticeship model around or... What is the difference between an internship and an apprenticeship? Well, the apprenticeship model is, you know, you're basically uh, signing up with a company and you're going to work at the company, but then you're also going to be trained also. And so, uh, there's a lot of manufacturers that have paid uh, young people to, you know, be educated or, Mm -hmm. you know, taught while they're working, but it's, it's, it's a commitment. And, and I think the young person commits to a number of years at a, at a certain salary. And, and then there's some, you know, staying power. And then they're also signing up for the apprenticeship model in manufacturing is, is extremely, you know, deep. It's three or four years long and it's extremely uh, detailed. Okay. So what is 
and then an internship is is less less commitment than that is that oh an internship in this country um i've dealt with probably seven plus different internship uh programs and the best one rand haas uh in uh, bcbs in the chicago suburbs theirs is the best i've ever seen it's gotten awards and uh, they prepare their young people very well but basically internships are an opportunity over a short period of time to immerse yourself in a man in, in this case in a manufacturing setting to determine if it's anything you're you're really interested in and uh, it's not really about learning as much as it is exposure so in this country um, i think the apprenticeship model has a long way to go i think the german american chamber of commerce is is doing a good job but that we have this cultural thing so my whole point of saying a printernship is is to immerse the internship into a working model of the apprenticeship and that i think will be more culturally uh palatable in our country instead of the traditional apprenticeship model so it's kind of a it's a hybrid basically have you ever had an intern at your business oh yeah yeah absolutely there's one intern um, anisha that was a a young um she was a, a, a 17 year old at the time and she wanted to go into engineering and uh and so i encouraged her and spent a lot of time talking to her and uh then she came up with a, a product idea and i said well are you going to do anything about that what was the product it had it had to do with testing for uh concussion protocol this, That's interesting. It was actually brilliant. So I had a friend from my high school. I went to high school. Uh, actually, it was an associate who graduated many years behind me from my high school in Florida, who was a biomedical engineer at uh, Northwestern. Uh, Evan Scott is his name. And so I called him up and I said, you know, this young lady has a great idea. Um, you know, let's talk and see if she can maybe patent it. So um, she got us to sign NDAs and anyone she dealt with to sign the NDA, uh, non-disclosure. And uh, she eventually at age 17 got a patent pending. Wow. Now, she, there's still a long haul from that to get a, a full patent. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a cool story. And uh, she was probably one of the latter interns we've had uh, in recent years. And she's at, she's at U of I in engineering now. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to say? Well, start by saying thank you for, for having me. That's very generous of you to invite me. That's uh, fun. Very, very much so. I think, uh, you know, the Graf family and the Iverson family have been very fortunate uh, to have the legacies that we have. And uh, you've got a little bit longer uh, of a legacy going than, than myself because I'm near the end of my legacy. What, what do you mean? Well, you know, you're third generation. I'm third generation. I'm, I'm third generation, but you got a little bit more years left than me. You're you're younger than me. Let's put it that way. But I think that um, I think that you know I would challenge uh, people to go to our uh, our website uh, championnow.org. Uh, that is the five hundred one c three, and just so everyone knows what that means, champion is an acronym. And it's change how American manufacturing is perceived in our nation. And then the now is the call to action. But if they go to championnow.org, they can find out about the book. Um, as you know, we, we have it on audiobook and ebook and hardback and paperback. And hopefully in the near future for smaller versions. All right. Check it out. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. I appreciate it, Noah. 
from today's machining world. This is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.